Welcome to another episode of In Love with the Process. I am your host, Brett McCabe, your longtime host of this beloved show you all listen to. Uh, this show is brought to you by Puget Systems. Uh, if you have a Dell computer, smash it with a baseball bat. If you have an Apple, throw it out a third story window. If you have a Hewlett Packard, set it on fire in front of your front lawn because they do not compare to a goddamn Puget System. If you're trying to make a movie, if you're trying to make a dirty movie, if you're trying to play a video game, you get yourself a goddamn Puget System, all right? If you're trying to save the world, if you're trying to hack into government computers, you get yourself a goddamn Puget System. This is all in the read, by the way. This is a very weird ad read. Uh, shout out Puget Systems. But uh, we have a special guest on uh, today. Our, our special guest, is, his name is Mike Pesci over here. <laughs> Very interesting way to start my show. It was very interesting. <laughs> well, that's literally what the ad read said in my hand. That's I, true. I read it verbatim. Well, usually I I like to improv it because it's that the ad reads that terrible on paper. <laughs> so usually I like to make it better. You you don't like what they wrote for me to read? <laughs> I'm not saying that they wrote it. <laughs> hey, this is my show. I'm gonna all run right, it the right, way I, I, I want to run it. My bad. Okay. Oh, here's our food delivery. <laughs> <laughs> All right, back to commercial. <laughs> no, no, let's keep going. All right, all right, we'll go. We'll go to commercial. Hold on, hold on. <laughs> it's just the same ad read I just did. Yeah, hold on. <laughs> Hi, it's me, Kaka Crumnuts, CEO of Meatballs Daily, the social media app where you could download any kind of meatball once per day, daily. I started my social media app because I wanted to download any kind of meatball once per day daily. And it just wasn't possible before Meatballs Daily. Well, now it's possible outside of the app. Visit our new Meatball Freestyle machines at your local shopping malls and movie theaters. Now you can download any kind of meatball once per day when you watch a movie. And I know you're all movie lovers, so use the discount code in love with the meatballs for a 10% discount. And we're back, so uh, make sure that you buy that product that we were just talking about in the ad. Uh, we're back with our guest, Mike Pesci, and our other guest that I'm going to attempt to pronounce for the first time ever, Nick Apostolides. Wow, that was pretty good, man. That's pretty, I, good. That's pretty good. I made a little Mexican sound. You did. I was going to say We're in Los Angeles, and just you got to fit in. Um, I'm Greek and Italian, so actually we we pronounce it apostolides. That's close. Uh, maybe in Greece they'd say apostolides. Either way, it's all good. But if that's how you pitch a project or a product, you should be my agent. <laughs> yeah, we're we're pitching you for the lead on a gang movie that takes place in East LA. So you are. <laughs> Apostolides. If you were thinking about hiring Tom Holland, throw him in the lawn and light him on fire. And uh, you, you go. got to have this guy, Nick Apostolides. <laughs> They're swapping the S out for a Z. <laughs> and Mike, it was funny watching you do the intro here with the music. You, you look like some like some like old cowboy DJ, like this whole grungy. <laughs> he's, he's not like, hosting today. He's like, DJing. You're like vibing. <laughs> that was funny. You're getting into it. Mm -hmm. uh, it's good to be back. Jeez. I, what last time was I like one of the first like 20 episodes you ever did back in well, like 2019? Yes. Jeez. Yes. Was it you and your brother? Yeah. Dave was over. We were in yes. Cambridge. Right? Yep. Uh, yep. Watertown. Water Watertown. Water yeah. Water 
Yeah, man, it's been a long time. I forgot your brother was like the sidekick for the show for a while. Yeah, <laughs> long he, time fans he know. Was. Yeah, yeah, Dave. Yeah, I still talk to him all the time. Like he just texted me a couple. Well, it was around my birthday, so that makes sense why he texted me. Yeah, Dave's doing some good stuff. Yeah, man, proud he, of him. He's a good kid. He's working on some really interesting ideas. We'll talk about later. Okay. Well, I don't. I'm not running the show. This guy is. Well, I'm running the show here. So, so let's get things back on track. No, no, no more of these sidebars, guys. Wait, and your name is it was Brett McCabez. That works. Okay, <laughs> McCabez. <laughs> McCabez. <laughs> we have some chicken wings and a few beers, and we're fucking out of control right now. <laughs> a half a beer deep. Uh, all right. So many years ago, I don't know if. Everybody knows this, and we got a little <laughs> secret burp by Gina on the side here. We're all having some fun here. So many years ago, before Marvel was this fucking empire mm-hmm. of entertainment, before they had movies 10 times a year, before they had Netflix series, you guys made a little fan film mm-hmm. about this little known character called the Punisher. Mr. Frank Castle. Yes. We did. Yes. And yes, we did. You received a cease and desist yes. from, <laughs> a, from Marvel, <laughs> a pre Disney owned Marvel studios yes. yes i feel like they typed mine up right after they typed up the guy that was printing disney characters on pillowcases on etsy i feel like yeah. it was the same department that sent that out but yes you're in good company mike <laughs> yes yes you probably made millions yeah yeah <laughs> so no one has seen that fucking film or, or especially not any of mike's new fans mm-hmm. no no now what's interesting is i went to last weekend i went to a premiere for a Spider-Man fan film, a full feature oh my God. that someone made uh, in a theater, in a theater. Someone rented out a theater to premiere this movie. And you, and you took a date to this. I took a date. <laughs> to a fact, fucking fan film. A feature fan film. Dude, is- hey, you know, you want to take pictures on the, the stop and repeat and look nice for Instagram. This is Hollywood. Baby. I want to know what your honeymoon would look like. <laughs> Uh, I was wearing a Spider-Man <laughs> shirt underneath my button up uh, to be on theme. Uh-huh. Uh, so Spider-Man Lotus <laughs> is a fan film that will be online as this episode is out. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they didn't care about that one. I've been trying to reach out to this director Weird. to see if he ever got a cease and desist or anything. I, I can tell you why I got a cease and desist. There's the. Can we say it legally? Yeah, I can tell you why. <laughs> Let's I indulge. I think I know the answer to this, but I'm going to listen. Well, so what I did is I fucked up. So when I made the piece, I assumed because of the music videos, I had spent so much time doing music videos and doing teasers and trailers for music videos. To hype up a music video, what you would do is you would create a trailer for it. You do a press release on the trailer. And everybody would get excited about the fact that there was a trailer for this thing mm. coming out, and we'd go from there. So when we were shooting our piece, I took some footage, and we took some stills. Gina took some stills, and we created movie posters in a trailer, and I put those out first. <clears throat> and the trailer and the movie posters got the viral attention from CBR and a bunch of the other comic book places. And I think there was an article that was written, don't quote me on this, but I'm almost positive it's a quote. They were like, this is better than anything Marvel's ever created. And so right after that is when I got the cease and desist. And the reason for it, 
I wish I had it in front of me so I could read it to you. But the reason for it was uh, they said it looks, it doesn't look like a fan film. It looks too good. It looks like an official production. It looks like something that's official. It's confusing to our fans. It's confusing to our audience. So you can't put this out. So that's a compliment. I, at first, it was a it was a sweet compliment, and then I wrote back to them and I said, "Why don't you just take it?" Because they weren't doing shit. Disney wasn't in, involved. I don't know if you remember, but my original pitch was that we were going to do just short videos on the internet because Marvel had some like really bullshit fucking internet presence. And I was like, what if we just do a series of almost like War Journal, a series of Frank Castle little shorts. As fans. As fans. And then Marvel can put those things out. I was going to try to convince Marvel to pay me for it, but little did I know that Marvel was fucking broke at that time. But yeah, that was the original intent for it. And then coincidentally, they went on to make their own Punisher Netflix series, which just looked like a low-budget Mike Pesci production. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. And the funny thing about that is that the fans of the short were writing to, I think it's Stephen Knight was the guy that ran that show. And so they were tweeting him consistently. I had nothing to do with it. They were tweeting him all the time going, you should hire Mike, you should hire Mike. And so he got back and he's like, I don't know who this fucking Mike guy is. (laughs) Did he ever, ever reach out to you? No, no, of course not. No, because it's like, it's the same reason why I don't take ideas from fans now. People are like, hey, can I send you ideas for movies? You don't take unsolicited material just in case he's like, well, I did talk to him. And I go, well, fuck you. I'm going to sue you because you took all my ideas. I see. I see. Yeah, yeah. So even though I probably couldn't because it was still based upon copywritten material, but they don't need that kind of that bullshit. That was a risk that we took when we made the piece. And it was a calculated risk. I just had no idea that we were going to get shut down so quickly. But you knew it was a possibility. Of course. You knew That's it. why I couldn't fight it. Of course. Right. Yeah. Well, and, hey, you got the attention. And uh, yeah, and it, it came all good. I mean, we've seen it. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> it's a great short that everyone listening will never see. <laughs> I may or may not have screened that at a screening of 12KM when we did a 12KM night in Coolidge. That may or may not have screened. I don't think it did, but it may have screened in front of that movie. And, may and maybe you'll screen it again. I don't know, dude. Maybe. Not officially. And Brett might take his future wife there. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, the truth of it is, the piece is great. You kick ass in it. Nick, uh, you're great in it. Um, But there's been such a hype built on the fucking thing at this point that, like, I don't even know. I don't care that it doesn't get released because I don't think we'll ever live up to the hype that circulates around the piece. You know what's funny is... uh, I, I've done a lot of signings for my projects and video games and stuff. And I think right before the last Christmas, I did one last signing for the year and one dude reached out to me and he goes, Hey, I didn't see any uh, Frank Castle posters of you. Um, <laughs> could I get, could I get a headshot of you and have you signed it as Frank Castle? And I said, how'd you know about that <laughs> after all these years? Cause that was like a decade ago, Mike, yeah, right? Like yeah. maybe more. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, okay, dude. So I, I just got this one off print. I thought that was really cool. And I, I grabbed a still that I had from one of my archive photos and I signed that fucker for him. I think I had you in my phone as Nick Castle for a good That's amount of years. Castle is, is that why you can't pronounce my name? Yeah. Cause I just had the fake last name for you. Yeah. But to get, not to, to sidetrack the show here, but I'm going to sidetrack it for a hot second. All right, just this once. To get nerdy on this, have you seen what Marvel has done with the Punisher lately? No, no, Ugh. I have not. Okay, they they've they've buried him, 
Uh, I know we've talked about this a little Ooh, bit. What do you mean they buried it's because him? in pop culture now, the Punisher is a symbol of the police, unfortunately. More than that, it's the symbol of the fucking assholes that went over and uh, took over the, uh, what was it? The, the January 6th people. Mm-hmm. And, and it's sort of embarrassing because it's nothing of what the Punisher represents to the point where it's just like, like I follow ironic Punisher meme pages now because you just see these stickers on the back of cruisers all the time. And the first thing that I think was mentioned in the comics is uh, the Punisher meet some police officers and they're like, oh, dude, dude, we're big fucking fans. Will, will you like sign something for us? And he's like, you're a fan? What the fuck? And he walks over to their cruiser and he tears his symbol off the bumper. Yes. Because uh, they have the little stickers everywhere. He's like, I don't do what you got. You guys are supposed to be better than me. I kill the bad guys and you're supposed to like be better than me. That's almost what verbatim. the fuck are you doing? Yeah, that's almost verbatim. And I, th- I think that's a pretty cool response to that. But then, but then what they you want to talk about. Oh my God, dude. So they changed his symbol. So he no longer has the skull. So he has like this really badly designed, last minute design, sort of like a uh, samurai skull with tusks. So he's got like the samurai thing. What? Yeah. And the storyline, spoilers for no one has read the comics, but the storyline is, is that uh, he then becomes the leader of the hand, which was the, the ninja group that with uh, daredevil was always fighting. So he becomes the leader of the hand. He then takes over this whole group and has the ability to go do an act vengeance with a bunch of ninjas. He no longer touches guns. So he only runs around with samurai swords. He doesn't know how to use his samurai swords. What? And then they change his entire what? backstory. They change his entire backstory and they turn Frank Castle into like this PTSD, real piece of shit dad. Real piece of shit dude. They they resurrect his wife from the dead and his wife's alive, barely alive by the hand. It's this whole fucking bullshit storyline. And then she's like, I fucking hate you. You were a piece of shit husband to me. And I can't believe that you've been trying to enact vengeance on our death by killing people. You were always a huge piece of shit. And so they've changed. They've completely. He's not even the Punisher anymore. No, so decimated wait, him. Wait, is this the same show? Like, is John Bernthal, is he the guy? This isn't the show. This is the comics. Yeah, just the comics. Oh, the comics changed. So, like, like yeah. Like, oh, so Marvel, okay, okay. Marvel came in. What the fuck? Disney came in and, you know, politics came in with their stuff. And I'm not supporting anything that anybody else does with the Punisher symbol. I just like the Punisher character. I've been with this character since he started. And they just went through the process of just why de- not create, decimating it. Why not just have a new character? Right. I don't understand why they ride the coattails of a name, but change everything that they were that's built off of. Like, what? That's Marvel, man. Yeah. Jeez, that's weird. And they had a bunch of really great series that were hot, ha- wow. like Rucka series that we that we took. Right, right. I talked to Greg Rucka. He liked the short, sure. and we were chatting about it. They canceled his book. And then there was another series that came out after where Frank Castle went to Los Angeles that was pretty good. <clears throat> and it was him sort of chasing these drug guys, and that was great. They canceled that book. They brought another book in, and uh, it was going to an interesting place, and then all, all this shit happens, and they fucking canceled that book. And then they did this. So uh, pretty typical of uh, Marvel. Before Disney, Marvel would do that shit. And now it's even worse when Disney's involved. When really oh, a really simple answer could have been just a fun storyline of the Punisher just going around killing dirty cops. 
Exactly. They would have just simple. everything. Keep it simple. <laughs> exactly. And it would have been great. Exactly. But the, the move is they're so vindictive over there. They did this with the Fantastic Four. As soon as they couldn't get the rights to the Fantastic Four movie line. Oh, yeah. Remember? They jettisoned the Fantastic Four into fucking space and they killed them. There was no book yeah. for the Fantastic Four at that time. Yeah. And the same thing with uh, the X-Men. Before they got the X-Men into shit, they were starting to run the X-Men into nothing. And now that they reacquired the X Men books, it's trash. It's all trash. Like it, being a Marvel kid when I grew up, trying to stay with that series of stuff right now. It's and Brad is the other comic book nerd that I'm with all the time. Do you agree or disagree? What's your thoughts on Marvel? I don't. I mean, every once in a while, I'll pick something up, and I'm usually disappointed. Uh, the only thing I've read recently that I like was. Uh, Jonathan Hickman's Ultimate Invasion. Mm-hmm. I think he there's only one issue out, but he's trying to bring the Ultimate Universe back. And so the evil Reed Richards is back and he's fucking with everybody. And it's, it's pretty fun. It's only one issue. We'll see where it goes. Mm-hmm. Jonathan Hickman's a great idea guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he, he they, they gave him the X-Men stuff, which yeah, what he did. You haven't read reading comics lately, have you? <laughs> no. No. We have yeah. a guest here, and it's just me and Mike talking sorry, comics. Sorry, I lost those. <laughs> oh, I don't care. <laughs> but there's some interesting stuff that they're doing with with some of those books. I got those books if you want to borrow them. They're pretty good. They're pretty good. I got to learn to read first, Mike. Um, don't, don't worry. These are picture books. You don't have to read the bubbles. Nice. You, just, you flip through the book. But do you think part of it, though, is because the um, – do you feel like the demographic is changing just with younger generations? There's just a different uh, – comic books were, would you say, arguably bigger when – when we were young versus sure. now what's popular is uh mostly digital digital media youtube anime stuff like that yeah i mean i don't know how comic books still stay alive like i i would say well, i would point, disagree I, I think they're still active younger generations are getting into them mm-hmm. uh there's so many more like cool indie <clears throat> stuff to check out uh before like comic books were known for like lonely white boys, but now they can reach a demographic that was pretty much non-existent back then. It's true. It's true. And so that's why the physical media is still moving. That's why pop culture has moved into a direction to serve nerds because nerds pay money for physical things and just any sort of media. So that's why every movie is a superhero movie. That's why comic books are still being Mm. sold. Merchandise is still huge. It's still King. Mm-hmm. fucking pop vinyls or whatever those yeah. Funko pops, mm-hmm. the dumbest things you've ever seen. I've signed many of them. <laughs> they fly no off the shelves. I have no idea. What, what are these? These are like bobbleheads, essentially like uh, oh, they come okay. in a special box and they, they have thousands of pop culture, like icons that you'll find like a John McClane. You'll find the Mike, they find don't the even bobble. They're terrible. They do nothing. <laughs> but it looks like a bobblehead. Right? Yeah. I love how f- Brett, if you could only see Brett's expression. <laughs> Imagine a bobblehead if it was uglier and just more expensive. I've seen these. I mean, that's pretty much what Newberg Comics does now is just sell yeah. those fucking things. Yeah. Yeah. They're yeah every record store, every comic book store needed to turn into yes. a, a merch a, store. A merch store. Yeah. Yeah. When you go to conventions, they have just rows and rows of, of vendors, artists, alleys, stuff like that. And you'll find towers like wall to wall of these pops oh, i want to take pops. a bowling ball there <laughs> yeah it's pretty incredible i bet you you know who re- you know who's really excited about them those fucking assholes that make plastic and you know who's excited about that 
petroleum and the fucking oil companies. And so anytime you buy those stupid little plastic things, you're still giving the oil companies fucking money. That's who's excited. I got, uh, this is us going on a tangent. Brett, you're the Guys, worst. Guys, you're breaking Leonardo <laughs> DiCaprio's heart right now. <laughs> the, the environment is dying. The planet is dying. Uh, yeah. I got lost in a hole on like the plastic, like, cause I was like, how fucking, how's plastic made? And I got really lost in a world of like, like really pissed off. It's a, it's really, really important that Funko pops last thousands and thousands of years after <laughs> your great, great grandchildren are dead. They'll be it's, here. Yeah. They're still going to be, uh, a Bruce Campbell ash <laughs> in a fucking pile somewhere. It will be, yeah. But anyway, I didn't mean to take us on a time. Where are we going, host? Uh, let's talk about video games. Do you guys like video games? Have you ever heard about video games? Speak of nerd stuff. No. You mean like Atari? Yeah. I almost wore my Atari t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> you know I got that. So this is mainly a film podcast. And what's interesting about the difference between uh, film and video games, I'm just quoting somebody else, but someone was like... The most expensive thing you can do in a film is to make an explosion. The cheapest thing you can do is to have two people kiss. Mm -hmm. And then in video games, it's the opposite. The cheapest thing you can do is blow something up. And the most expensive thing is you get thousands and thousands of animators to make two characters kiss and make <laughs> it look believable. That's a good statement. Yeah, I get that. That's cool. So we're here with a special guest. Uh, since the last time he was here, he was a nobody, but now he's a somebody. <laughs> Thanks. Were you a nobody originally? <laughs> he was worthless before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have uh, Chris, Chris Redfield here himself from the Resident Evil remakes and Netflix series, right? And probably some other projects. It's actually right? Leon Kennedy. All right, whatever. It's I don't play Resident Evil. <laughs> I'm more of a Last of Us guy. Okay. <laughs> you know what? They're not even good games. Okay. <laughs> you play Kirby, don't you? <laughs> I was just spilled my beer. Whatever happened to Tetris? <laughs> now we're we're acting in games. <laughs> you you got to refine your Google searches. We got. <laughs> oh my God! I watched fucking YouTube videos to be here. <laughs> <laughs> I so thought you, you played. I thought you, you said you played the game. Claire Redfield is yes. Uh, didn't you play a game? Uh, you're you're the the monster. Uh, okay, <laughs> so you're a big deal now. Uh, well, I, let's let's actually set it up even more because we were laughing through it. Nick is the voice of Leon and Leon in, Kennedy and the new Resident from Evil from the remakes. Of the uh, uh, two and four, two and four, yeah, and the Netflix series, yeah, that's right, yeah. Mm -hmm. So if you recognize the voice within the three words we've let him say on this episode so far, <laughs> maybe you're a true gamer. Uh, yeah, so I did the the voice for the character and the motion capture, the performance capture. So we did the you know we record the face expressions, the body, the voice at the same time, and yes, it is tough to do a kiss. Now, I'm I can show you how to do it, Brett, if you want. Okay. We'll, we'll save that for the, <laughs> guys, the Patreon I'll, episode. Guys, you do that. I'll mocap it in my own little brain. <laughs> and I'll, re I'll rebuild that later on. I'm going to mocap thinking about it later. <laughs> yeah. Uh, now, Capcom is a company based out of Japan. So I'm curious, for the first project you did, Resident Evil 2 Remake, yeah. were you mocapping for that as well, or were you just the voice? Like, did they have a guy in Japan doing the first mocap? 
No, no, they, they, this was pre COVID and they came to LA. We filmed it here in LA. No shit. Yeah. So that means when I play this game in another country, it's going to be another voice, but it's still going to be your body, your body movements. Uh, I, I guess, uh, yeah, if you if you were to go to, let's say, Germany, they would have the German voiceover artists playing Leon Kennedy. But yes, it's uh, all the body motion. That's that's me. That's pretty rad. Yeah. Well, I have no more questions. That's all. <laughs> Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> Good episode, no, no, no. Brent, no, I have plenty more questions. Uh, <laughs> Brent was like, I need to do, he was like, I need to come and host an episode. I need to sit down with Nick. I've got some hard hitting fucking questions. And that's where you left it? That's I'm, where you left it? I'm joking. I'm doing a joke, I'm Michael. Just checking in on you. Okay, so because I got a lot of questions, I'm keeping my mouth shut. Yeah, for, for now, for the film people <laughs> that are less familiar with the video game stuff, uh, mocap is when they put a bunch of balls on an actor's joints and they put a bunch of dots on your face. That's right, almost like you're cultural appropriating another culture, uh, and then <laughs> they put a bunch of digital cameras everywhere and they can build models based off your movements. I can explain it if you want. <laughs> yes, please. The audience wants it. Okay, okay. No, no, no. Let me crack another beer, and then I'm gonna further try and explain it. I'll, I'll, I'll put it in, in layman's terms. I'm not a tech guy myself, but I can at least explain it. Um, so all of the the balls on the joints, what they are, all they are, are reflective surfaces, mm-hmm. and uh, all those cameras. Uh, you, you'll be in an empty like warehouse of a room called the volume. And you might be surrounded anywhere from 35 to 180 cameras. Mm-hmm. And these are strictly infrared cameras. And mm-hmm. all they do is pick up light uh, signatures. Super cool. That's all. And so the reason they have so many is that they have these cameras positioned all around the room. And they're aimed at every single direction in the room. So no matter where those reflective balls are, uh, the infrared cameras will pick up that data. They're all calibrated mm-hmm. to tell the computer one thing and that's it. So it creates a digital skeleton of you and your movements and it can throw it into any digital environment. And because it's picked up by so many cameras, uh, the freedom is that in post you, you don't have to think about this shot as a close up. That's a medium. We'll get it from that angle. Right. In post, you can go anywhere virtually that you want anywhere. Right, because it's captured all the different angles in that space. Every angle, every single second. So basically, it's funny because uh, that's the stuff that James Cameron has advanced when he does mm-hmm. Avatar now. Mm-hmm. Now he's in a position where he can actually see the 3D space and he can walk around with a virtual camera, which is also tracked. Yes. The same way. So in a way, it's uh, it saves time. It gives you ultimate flexibility in post. You mm-hmm. can do anything you want. Um, it's very expensive to process. Mm-hmm. And so what I've been told is they're very, very picky when you when you do these scenes they want to try to get uh a, a, even a big scene in as few takes as possible so they have to do as few edits um in film for instance they'll uh, they'll say all right let's keep take um two four six and seven those are the good ones we got to teach capcom about a circle take <laughs> what, what is a circle take Oh, that you just know it's your good take, so you circle that on your. Well, no, they, it's an they, AD thing. They they try to get the absolute best take because generally, uh, for motion capture, every second that you process that you have to render. Yeah, with all those cameras and all that. Every one second is, I think, seventy five dollars, roughly. Yeah. And so, if you have a three minute take, what's that? Yeah. Three times, three times sixty. You know. Yeah. 
You can yeah. do the math. It's yeah. expensive yeah. to render a take. That's crazy. So they try to say like, know your best ones. The ones you absolutely need will move on. Mm. It's like that. That's, that's fucking wild. Mm-hmm. $75 a second. That's crazy. Jesus Christ. Uh, this whole time, I really thought all the balls just had like some Bluetooth fucking thing inside them. Are you them. serious? That's what you Yeah. Thought? I was like, they must just have some, they're radiating something. No, it's just, if someone has a, a chain on, for instance, and that's coming through someone's neck, uh, they'll say, take the chain off because it's reflecting it light and it'll screw up your data. Yeah. Wow. And it'll think it's part of your back or something and then mess yeah. up your skeleton. And what they do is they pick key joint points on you because then those can then be transferred to key points on a wireframe. Yes. Or like a model frame in, in a computer animation program. And they can raise the scale. So let's say I was a monster that was 10 feet tall. Mm -hmm. They can just simply um, just raise my scale up. And um, what they'll do is when you're acting with an actor face to face, they're about your same height. However, if I'm playing a giant person or a very small, tiny, you know, small creature or something will adjust eye line so even though you're acting with somebody right across from you if, oh, fascinating. if you were a giant monster i would talk up there to you okay so you're adjusting eye line in your performance yes that's fucking wild some people look down some people look up and it's kind of weird and jarring um sometimes we put like a marker on someone's uh midsection like belly button and say that's your eye line for that character yeah, it's like gonna be. Yeah, that sounds really cool. I'm just looking at Nick's crotch right now. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, try to do it. It's weird. Yeah, it's, I bet, dude. Yeah. And, it's, and to stay in the moment, that's got to be a weird thing with all that technical stuff from an actor performance. You have to really use your imagination because we don't have the liberties like in a film. Sometimes, if you have uh, the the sets, you've got the props, you've got creature makeup and stuff it, like yeah. that. It's easy to see that and imagine, like imagine being an old like carpenter film. Yeah, and you see the creature right in front of you. It's easy to react to here. It's just your co-star in a same lycra suit, like a leotard, basically, with balls on it. And you have to pretend like there's a horrifying creature. Yeah. Got to use your imagination. They won't even give the nemesis some stilts to walk around in? Like, you just got to We do. Pretend? No, no, no. Okay. For some creatures, for some movements, yes. You wear um, whatever you call them, uh, you know, different kind of creature stilts. And mm -hmm. uh, you've probably seen BTS of like planet of the apes when they have the, uh, what looks like arm crutches yeah. to move like an animal. There's specific training that you go through. And what's cool about mocap too, is that you can see the, um, if you are playing a creature or just a character that with a very specific look, you can look on the TV screen and in real time, it'll show you moving as your character, even if it is an ogre or some kind of witch or creature or anything you can see so that, it that must help you with the imagination aspect of it so yes you and you it, it can inform your performance because you can see yeah. uh how big your arm movements have to be for this huge creature to look like he's really you know trying or, or giving efforts or hitting or swinging or something that's so weird because in uh like planet of the apes you still have like regular sets you have regular photography that's happening you have regular stuff that's being captured but when sure. it's a video game you guys are literally just capturing data and you're trying to capture uh performance in that data like you have to imagine everything yeah it's fucking nuts man everything i mean you've seen the more expensive sets you've seen the bts of uh let's say back to marvel they have the budget and they will create pretty extensive sets in those mocap volumes with big set pieces a lot of green screen everywhere uh, they can suspend their imagination a good amount, but we have even less to work with typically. Yeah. Uh, and, and all the, the objects in the room, the very um, simply created with uh, Apple boxes, two by fours, simple 
uh, inexpensive. Yes. Yes. Yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah, because it has to be moved quickly to go on to the next scene where they have to move everything else. And then in this scene, there's a there's a battle tank. And so we just build that out of two by fours and a couple decks, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. What, what, what is interesting is that mocap is the side effect of, uh, I don't want to say this the wrong way. I, I feel like mocap solves the issue of continuity in the performance from animators, I think. And I think that there are amazing animators out there that do amazing things with creatures and stuff, but then anim animating human beings and animating like the natural sort of accidental motions that a, that a normal human being has, that's incredibly difficult. And I think it is. that's what really changed, at least for me, there was a period in time when you're watching CG movies where it suddenly felt like CGI advanced and it wasn't necessarily the pixel ratio of what they were doing. It was just the performance ratio of what was happening because the performance felt more natural. And by natural, I would break that down to like accidental slash mistakes being made slash all like these really cool, like when I'm editing pieces with an actor in it, this is the shit I'm looking for. Like I'm shuttling through heads and tails and looking for that moment where the actor does something that feels so naturally wrong. Yeah. Exactly. And you can't plan that when you're an animator. You can't. And you you can't. The 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 reason why I think it's so important is because for an animator to just create that from scratch, number one would be very expensive. Yeah. But number two, if you think about it, they'd they'd have to be they'd have to have an actor's mind themselves. Exactly. They they can listen to a voiceover track and, and some animators are really good at that with, with animated series and stuff where they don't do mocap. Um, but they have to create those moments. They take the voiceover yeah. and they say, okay, what kind of gesture would this human be doing? They have to have that mentality themselves and not everyone can do that. Which is also weird too, because then what all, all I'm trying to do when I'm working with actors is get them to stop thinking and get them just to be. And it's different when you're an animator because then you're thinking. You're thinking about how do I create this? How do I create this? Which is the complete opposite it's of what gets a good It's the complete opposite process. Yeah. It's and fascinating. It's not easy to do. So that's why I think mocap, uh, as expensive as it is, it humanizes it even more, obviously, mm -hmm. and it saves animators time. All they have to do is just, you know, make a couple little fixes. They adjust certain things. Other than that, it's like copy and paste, and they put your skin, the Leon Kennedy skin or monster skin, right on that body. Super cool, man. It's like copy paste. Or yeah. Chris Redfield, if they want to, you know, change it out. <laughs> yeah. I'm not trying to undermine what animators do. They actually have a pretty tough job in post. They're the, amazing. Like yeah. cleanup. Cleanup is actually an extensive process, but a lot of it is, excuse me, a lot of it is done. Yeah. Yeah. They have, they have the, the foundation right there. Yeah. Which I'm sure that they're incredibly thankful for. Yeah. Yeah. It makes their job easy. Well, yeah, or easier. Or gives e them. Thank you. Easier. Yeah. It gives easier. them like the, the, uh, the wall, like the fucking gate or the fence to play in. Yeah. As far as the performance. And, and I'll tell you, I remember like when I watched scenes that, uh, that, that I was in, I watched them in the final product and I can tell, I'll be like, Oh, I didn't, I didn't do that. I didn't <laughs> scratch my head here. And that's the animator adding that in because it just fit the, the moment or whatever the, the director needed. Uh, and that's, that's the animator doing its thing. Doing that's that thing. great. That's gotta be wild. That's gotta be yeah. wild. Yeah. All right. So to, you're moving around. You got all these reflective balls on your joints, but that's now it's different for your face. For your face, 
they draw a bunch of dots and whiskers on you and then they will sometimes attach a, a camera rig yes that's just looking straight at you yeah uh that's more for reference oh okay so that, that's was, for facial reference and what's tough about that is you cannot and I, I don't understand to this day why they don't want you interacting with your face at all so yes there is a apparatus there's a camera that comes out like a essentially like a little gopro a mm -hmm. wide angle gopro it's about maybe 16 inches in front of your face mm -hmm. attached with bars it's restricting in ways because think about all the things that that could mess up like if you're kissing somebody if you're close to somebody if you're fighting punching drawing a weapon it's tough to work around you know um it's almost like you're wearing the original batman costume <laughs> that's a really good metaphor yeah a simile uh but they don't like if there was a point where like smoking a cigarette for instance if you're like hey i think my character would smoke a cigarette take a puff here um you have to hold your hand out past your camera and pretend like you're smoking and then the animator will fix that and move your hand in connect it with your mouth fucking weird uh it but it's so sensitive and this is the part i don't understand if there's let's see let's say you're doing a two minute scene yeah and maybe you, you got to look over your shoulder really quickly you look over and let's say the top of your shoulder sneaks into your camera's frame they'll have to redo that take just because your shoulder popped in for two seconds God blocking damn. blocking what your face was doing and I just don't get it. Like the animators, if they lost that two seconds, couldn't they just fix it? Yeah. Uh, figure out what your phrase might have been doing, or just uh, extend those frames. I don't know the answer to that, but they they don't want anything obstructing one iota of a second of your face for any take. So that's going to be really obnoxious when you're an actor trying to find some sort of reality in a performance. You just have to be weary of it, and you have to cheat. So if if it calls for doing that or it calls for looking down or hugging somebody. You just always have to be wary of uh, nothing blocking that big field of view for your face. Fucking weird, man. So everything. Drawing a weapon is a big one. So I play a lot of characters that draw weapons. Um, I've done military games, uh, Resident Evil. And every time you draw a gun, normally it would be up here, but your shoulder would block your face. You'd hit your bars. And so when I draw a weapon in these games, you got to draw it unnaturally low pretend like it's high shoot and they the dick. and they fix yeah exactly and fix they fix every frame and they move it up naturally wild so you just get used to it wild huh i never would have thought of that stuff yeah challenges what do you think host i was thinking like i i i watched the mocap behind the scenes stuff and i just assumed that we were at a point where you could digitally just scan a face so they draw the dots and we could analyze that but no it's just for fucking reference so the animators still have to go in there and fucking carve out every little nuance oh that's so much fucking work well i, I think they are using ai already mm -hmm. AI okay. has changed a lot of the game okay me. they're using ai um and what we do we do what we call a facial rom facial range of movement before we go in for every single day you sit in front wow. of this camera and 
you go through the, uh, saying vowel sounds, you make every facial movement that your face can move. So, you know, you, you uh, close your eyes really tight. You look left, look right, look up, look down, squint, you know, do frowns. You go through the whole gamut. And so the, that tells the computer and the animators that this is that actor's range of movement for his face. So anytime he's yelling in pain or cringing like, ah, they can reference that ROM video if they didn't get the right uh, data and they could just say, okay, that's his face. They'll take that. They'll use that as a reference and put the character skin on top of it. Fascinating. So they're like, let's, Oh, uh, we're going to change the attitude that happens in this scene. Let's go through the Nick face stuff real quick. And then just sort of shuttle shuttle through it and look for the right thing. And we also do these recordings of uh, vowel sounds and, and just sounds in general. So you go E, eh, oh, ah. So they can build that. So they can build that. And then, in AI programs, if you're saying an utterance or something and it sounds like, oh, the AI will pick it up and say, hey, that sounds like the part of the video in the ROM with this. And they'll just plug it in and it just throws it on his face. It's crazy. So that is, I think they are utilizing that already. Yeah. I mean, there's a whole new thing. Uh, I forget what it's called. I saw it um, that uh, Spielberg is like uh, sort of endorsing right now, which is uh, they're they're creating this new bit where you can take just cell phone footage of someone like running through a field and now AI can track everything that you're doing with it and uh, pretty quickly sort of replace you with a CG creature. So this is, this is new. Yeah. There's new tech coming out. (laughs) So like the mocap stuff, I think is going to change. So like there is, there's this whole new thing now where um, not only do you not need green screen, not only do you not need any of that stuff, um, you can just be, I can film Brett getting off the couch in this house and running through some spot. It will track all his motion, uh, replace it with some sort of CG creature and composite him out of that, that same shot. So like, it like rotoscopes the environment too. Yes. Yeah. It gets yeah. rid of that, fills in the negative space. Yeah. Wow. That's it's, wild. It's still pretty rough. Like the CG stuff that it's doing is still kind of rough. Sure. And but- raw dog, but Jesus. Yeah, they're figuring it out. Like, can we do that right now and replace him with Gina or something? <laughs> you could. Do we want more burps on this podcast? <laughs> <laughs> She's got headphones on because she doesn't like to listen to podcasts. <laughs> Good for her. That's cool. Yeah, yeah, dude. What they're trying to do is get it to the point where, as a filmmaker, you can do CG, you can do all that stuff in your house. And, like, this is the, like, I've been playing with Mid Journey a lot, mm. but we're in the process right now of creating. I could say this on the show. We're in the process right now of creating um, a completely AI trailer, which will then just be created from images. And then those images will be animated through AI and the motion of those images. And I've seen a few of them done. They look good. They're great. I mean, most of them are done by graphic designers, which means that like the storytelling aspect is kind of flawed because Mm. it's just graphic artists that are like really excited about it. I'm trying to take all that tech and then put it through my brain and put it through the system of like a filmmaker. And there've been a couple of other filmmakers that have done really cool ones. Um, Some of them, like I'll have to show you, there's one with uh, Idris Elba that was recently done. And I don't think they got his fucking permission for it. So they AI'd him in this trailer and then used the AI voice shit and had him speaking in this trailer. And so it is all him. That's becoming an issue. Yeah, it's going to be a huge issue. It's uh, They're going to start uh, like maybe licensing for a lot of money. 
Yeah. Well, you know, if you want to pay this guy 50 million, yeah, you can AI him or something like that. Literally today I was listening to AI Beavis sing Frank Sinatra's That's Life. And then I listened to AI Frank Sinatra sing Michael Jackson's Billie Jean. Yeah. All this stuff is coming out within like the last month or two. People are just making AI covers. Yeah. I've seen that a lot, actually. And I just heard recently that all this stuff is happening so quick. I just heard recently that Universal Music, I think, is now getting to the point where they're going to start licensing that stuff Mm -hmm. so that the artists, uh, so that the the record label will make the money on each time that this stuff happens. So it's going to be, it's going to be crazy, man. There, there has to be uh, some sort of restrictions and limitations put on it because it has to be, I mean, they're going to, they're going to put, they're going to ride the, ride the coattails and popularity of these artists and just completely disregard them, but also oversaturate the market with them. Yeah. Yeah. Also decimate their career, their careers with the oversaturation that happens with it. Because then also they can't, they can't tour on that. No. If they create, you know, 10 new albums of Metallica, yeah. they can't, they're not going to learn those songs. Well, that, yeah, and then, I don't know, it's a longer conversation. It, it is. I it feel is. like we're kind of hijacking the episode, but there, <laughs> there has to be something that's done um, that doesn't necessarily control the tech because the tech's going to do what the tech does, but it's the people that use the tech. So there yeah. needs to be regulations and rules that are I just saw that what you posted online. Yeah. The the guy ranting about the the real danger. I just saw that today. Yeah, it's great. But it's true. It's true. And uh I mean my voice. You you can you can YouTube right now uh Leon Kennedy and they've AI I had into the AI my voice with President Biden. Have you yeah, seen that? I sent this to you. <laughs> oh, you did. <laughs> where where I'm talking with President Biden. Yeah, it's Biden's like fucking well, hilarious, but wait, it's so you're fun. not racist anymore? <laughs> Yeah. yeah it's fucked it's fucked man it is weird if there's any in love with the process listeners who have been fucking around with this stuff uh please do some version of mike pesci talking about going vegan and the, uh, the positive aspects of or, vegan lifestyles or or maybe mike mike pesci singing praises for uh, the late great actor bill paxton <laughs> I, I think that if anyone that, that is what's caught fire if anyone is listening um can i have another beer yeah i love that that is what's caught fire i i still stand behind my statements <laughs> That uh, I hate Bill Paxton. Bill Paxton's characters. <laughs> I hate. I hate Thank Bill you, Paxton's sir. characters. That's uh, funny. I'm trying to dig it up because uh, somebody did that, and they sent me uh, this thing. But I, it might be too far in this text in this text message. But the good thing about me not hosting the show is that I don't have to carry it. Brett, it's all yours, buddy. Well, uh, when I do post production on this, we're going to mix in uh, Leon Kennedy talking to. President Joe Biden yeah, about res- rescuing his daughter. Are you doing post production on this episode? Sure, it's my episode. Okay, <laughs> right, it's great. And and then I'll mix in. Can uh, I be co-producer? And <laughs> and then I saw somebody uh, took Borat and put Borat in Resident Evil Four, giving an introduction to the village that I he lives in. I saw that. I saw that. Yeah, it's funny. They're doing fun stuff with AI. Uh, like we have some hesitations about it, but there is some fun remix culture stuff that happens with all of it. Uh, another question I had was uh, when you're doing mocap, are you also doing uh, voice recording then, or do you have to do ADR for yourself? 
after the fact. No, uh, what they call full performance capture. We are doing it all at the same time. So you, you perform it just like you would theater or film TV. It's it's there's a lot of crossover and a lot of differences. The differences are more on the tech side. Uh, it's it's I think a much more technical form of acting than the other two. Um, with live action, but yeah, we, we do the voice at the same time. And as long as the stage can support it uh, sonically, Mm -hmm. uh, they don't have to ADR those scenes and they, they try not to. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. Back in the day, they did not have the technology or the means to, um, to do it all at the same time. And so they would stitch together performances. So they would do mocap separately and then have a different actor do the voice and they would just match it. But that's uh, sometimes it can feel disjointed. So yeah. that's why they prefer to do it all at the same time with the actors who can do mocap and the voice. It's cheaper, it's faster, and slightly less disjointed. Yeah, if you're rolling and dodging and jumping, it makes sense just to get your actual performance. Set. Because that matters. I mean, there are some great act- great actors who can sit behind a mic just like this and and match it up perfectly with an action sequence. Sure, they can do that. It's just there are nuances that you lose sitting behind a mic versus doing it yourself. Exactly. Yeah. Just the way your body sounds when you're physically moving. Exactly. Sounds different. Yeah, when yeah. you sit down, you, you feel yeah. that, you know. Yeah. The way you're, you're, the air is just jettisoned out of your body when you're bending over to pick something up. Everything. Here's a question. How'd you get the fucking part? We, I don't think we ever talked about this. How'd you get the part of Leon in the oh, Resident Evil? Oh, we definitely did. Um, that was uh, I just submitted to this thing. It's it's kind of a funny story. I know it was a long time ago, but I video games are very, very secretive. Mm-hmm. You never see casting calls for them. They're always under code names. They don't want people to know the next game is coming out in a few years. And it's just strange. The only one time in my life I ever saw a public casting call, meaning it didn't go just to the agents. Mm-hmm. This was went out to the public on Actors Access. Uh, it's just a casting site you could sign up for right now, Mike, for sixty bucks or something. You get breakdowns and you could submit for Los Angeles projects. And one day I saw this project. It said Resident Evil Two Remake. Wow! And you just flat out said it, <laughs> but, but uh, at, because they never post those and they're always under codenamed, I thought it was um, a fan film. I had just done the Punisher recently. I said, yes. "Oh, what I said, what is this? A student film, like a project, a community project, whatever." So I submitted to it. You're a big fan of the Resident Evil originally, huge. Yeah. So I submitted to it, and they said they're looking for Leon Kennedy. Uh, they're like the protege is kind of like Orlando Bloom esque, like five ten, you know, young hero. I was like, "Oh, Leon, I love Leon." And so I just submitted. I said, "Hey, I'm a huge fan. I would love to audition for your project." And when I got the audition notice, they said, "Hey, you come in on next Wednesday or something." I read into it. I said, okay, what is this thing? And it said in the breakdown, this is the remake, the reimagining of the 1998, you know, video game. This is full motion capture, everything. And we're looking for Leon Kennedy. And that struck me right. I was like, oh my God, this is like, lost your shit. This is my opportunity. And so I sent another message like, thank you so much. I went in there, kicked ass, prepped with some friends, trained for those auditions. And three weeks later I had the part. And so wow. it was just a, a stroke of luck. Why do you think they, they went, why did, what, what was it that you did that they liked? What did, why do you think they went with you? Did they well, ever tell you? A, a, a few things. So number one, I prepped the hell out of that audition. Um, the fact that I, I had firearms training for my James, uh, my friend, James Poirier. Um, I had firearms training so I could move like a cop. The audition was uh, dramatic scenes. It was physical scenes. 
running, moving, doing some slight stunts and everything like tactical roles coming out of it, drawing a weapon. Um, so I looked the part, I knew the character, I explained that in the auditions. And then, um, after the second round audition, I did something an actor should arguably never do. I don't know. I, I, I gamble a little bit and I wrote the casting director, uh, a really pointed email. Uh, and I said, <laughs> please, please share these sentiments with the director of the game. And I just like poured my heart out of how much I understand the project. I understand I've been a mega fan for 20 years of the series. Mm -hmm. I know the character. I know his relationships with everybody. And so I said, I want to be clear. I'm not begging for the role. I'm not the only guy that can play this character. I said, but if you give me a chance, mm -hmm. I said, I will give you everything I got and I'll give you one hell of a performance. And did the casting director actually give it to them? They did. And they said they took that into consideration. That's a great casting director. Cause a lot of times they'll just be like, fuck off. You know, <laughs> no, they, they said that and they said they actually, um, they sent that to Japan and wow. they said, you know, they were considering me and maybe two other guys. And they took that into consideration. They said, this guy knows the material. He knows the character and he's obviously dedicated. So I think that, did that send me over the edge? I don't know. You showed the Japanese some honor and they showed it back to you by hiring you. <laughs> yeah. So I think it was kind of like, you know, kind of fateful. I don't know if you believe in that stuff, but yeah, yeah, I believe in that. Well, yeah, I did. I believe in like the right place, right time. Like uh, you had already spent years uh prepping tactically like you're a tactical nerd sure you were a tactical nerd when we did the punisher you were uh, you working with james for a long time you've been very much a tactical dude uh you've always been very calculating on how you move your body when we work together you're very very focused on like how you're standing and what your posture is and all that so when you told me that you got this gig um it didn't surprise me I was just like, this is perfect for you. Like, this is exactly everything that you've been training to do. And so there's something to be said about that is all the hard work you did. And then you just had the wherewithal to understand what the fuck it was you were reading for. Yeah. I, I you know, I, I just like to tell people really just to follow their passions. I mean, I, I, I think if you just live and breathe what you're passionate about, good stuff's going to happen. Yeah. The, the right stuff will come to you. Yeah. You know, because even like a creative like you, like this whole household, I mean, you guys, you guys love so many different things, but you are, you are implementing all of your hobbies and passions like into your life's work <laughs> yeah. everywhere you can. Yeah. It's crazy, crazy people, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. It, it doesn't, I mean, it's, it's hard work, but not really. Yeah. yeah it's true. It's true. Because you love doing it. It's not a. Yeah, when I'm not doing it, I'm like, what the fuck am I doing with my life? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, That's yeah. what I'm talking about. So when people ask me about any kind of like, you know, advice for, you know, pursuing your goals and stuff, all these young kids, and I say the same thing. I'm like, try to find a way to make your passion your job. I mean, that's what Brett did to finally get here to host this show. I'm, I'm so I've been dreaming about the hosting in love with the process <laughs> my entire life. <laughs> Ever since I was a young boy, I always wanted to host this show. Look at you. Look at you. Here I am. Cheers to that. <laughs> I'm just going to say this to the audience. This isn't some fucking setup. Brett has been on my ass. You have been texting me. I'm a gamer. What can I say? He's like, I'm hosting an episode of your show. I want Nick on your show. He was on my ass. 
I was busy all week and you were fucking hounding me all I'm, week. I'm just becoming your producer friend at this point. <laughs> I produce the game nights that we do. That's true. That's true. <laughs> I, I, I'm producing guests now. Yeah, uh, unintentionally. Well, if you're such a gamer, let's talk about your experience with games. I, I don't know anything about you. Uh, you were talking about how secretive uh, a lot of games are. Yes, they are. Uh, Very. What's funny is back in Boston when we were living out there, I submitted to just do a game test for some for some company that was out in Boston. I figured, eh, I'm never going to have heard of this company, and I ended up game testing Bioshock Infinite. Really? Before it was wow. even announced. I was like, holy shit. But I bet you signed a big fat NDA. And I'm breaking it right now. <laughs> so I don't know if you guys have heard about this game. It's coming out soon, I think. Bioshock Infinite. It's mm. going to be a blast. <laughs> uh, but I mean, that's it, my it, only experience in, no, with but, games. But you're a gamer, no? Uh, the Last of Us 2 broke my heart a hundred times. And it's my favorite thing ever. Uh, I'm I'm getting to the point where there's so many different types of video games there's so many niches that i'm just like oh like i'll i'll, I'll google like how long is this game going to take me it's gonna be 50 hours and i'm just gonna be running errands for people the whole time <laughs> yeah, yeah give me give me a good story-based 15 hour game yeah yeah and i'm happy have i need you, some good writing some good directing some good acting have you played my game re4 remake I played the demo just because you're in it, but I don't like most horror, to be honest. And I got my ass handed to me immediately. So you, you wanted to produce this episode of me and you didn't even play my, my 14 hour game with a good story. Good I acting. didn't even get the fucking name right. <laughs> Chris Redfield. Jesus. What am I doing here? So you play the nemesis, right? Dude, you're uh, you're higher on the guest list than I am. I'm the third <laughs> name on this episode. <laughs> so, so yeah. Have I, you even listened to one of his episodes? No, I'm not even subscribed. <laughs> 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 I, I meet up with Mike and he gives me a summary of what happened in the last episode. So I don't have to listen. Yeah, it's pretty much it. It's pretty much it. Uh, it's funny. You've been on you. How many times have you been on the show, Brett? This has got to be number three or four. Yeah, you're not as much as Lance. Lance, I think, is the the guy that's been on the show the most. Lance is more charming. <laughs> yes. I'll give it he to is him. A, he is a charming motherfucker. He is very charming. He's very charming. I miss that dude. He should be on camera, on mic. More often, yeah. Hollywood hire him. But yeah, you're, you're close to. It's like you, Lance, Stu, somebody else. It's more about who's hanging around Mike's the most. That's it. That's who's unemployed mo yeah. more often than not. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he 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 bleeds charisma. Lance. Yeah. Yeah. Lance is great. He's great. He's probably <laughs> listening right now. He's he's beaming as he drive. He's, he's driving around right now. Uh, yeah, we're talking about you, buddy. I didn't, I didn't put this show together. You I mean, could have been on this episode, but I, I, wasn't I appreciate a shout out. I'll listen to an episode. I'll be like, oh, I got, I got my name shout out. Or like, if you, when you call out Travis, who I introduce you to, I'll, I'll text Travis and be like, you got a shout out on this episode. Check it out. <laughs> yeah, maybe Lance will listen. It's Lance, nice. you are handsome. You're charming. You're charismatic. Talented as hell. We all love Lance here. We love Lance. He, he's a good dude. <laughs> uh, speaking of being a fan of things, so you're on record as being like Resident Evil 4 is your favorite game. It is. Of it, all time. It's been for 18 years. Yeah. Why is 4 your favorite? Because I loved the franchise. I was 
relatively new to it at the time. Um, oh, so that's when you got in was when four was happening. No, no, no. I got in with two. So yeah, two is what I got into. So yeah, I played uh, in, in 98. I played two fell in love right after that. I played one because yeah. I wanted to go play them all. Then three came out in 99. Then they did a remake of one in 2001. And at that point I'm like, this is awesome. Like I love this shit. And then there was a big hype for four because four changed the whole genre, the everything. Yeah. I remember this. That was yeah. the first was huge 3d one. Right? And so when, when yeah. that was coming out, I was hyped so much and I was training my little brother, Dave, who everybody knows here. Um, <laughs> I was training him with video games because he, let's see, he was born in 96 in about 2001, 2002. He was like six, seven years old. I got him into Nintendo so I started him back on Mario, just like I did. Got him into Mega Man. And then when when Resident Evil 4 came out, he was nine years old. And I thought he was ready. So I was like, Dave, put down Mario Sunshine. <laughs> I said, do you want to play You want to play a big boy game? And he's put like, on your diaper. And he's like, would I? I was like, good. We're going to play Resident Evil 4 when mom and dad are gone. And, she, and he's like, okay. He was fucking terrified of that game but he also fell in love and so we have played that game like 50 times me and him together it's just it's such a nostalgic thing for me sure sure and so that's why four is just my favorite and so you know 18 years later i get to reimagine and, and be in the new one and we kind of flipped out as brothers you know that's fucking crazy man. we 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 played it together I, I flew to boston to play it with him that's our tradition we play these games together all the time when they come out and I'll tell you when um, we had a blast playing it because all the familiar settings, it's like, oh, it's it's this level and they changed it. It's like we were we were in it. And then when it ended, me and him had a little moment. We're just like, we just did it again. We just beat this again for the first time. That's 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 you know? adorable. It, and it is. That's really cool. Yeah, right? it's kind of special. And so yeah, I don't know if that ever some if I don't know if anything like that will ever happen again. That's cool, man. That's really cool. Yeah. Now you've mentioned that you've met the original Leon voice actor and you're friendly with him or something like that. How yeah, did you so, meet him? Well, the, the original guy who voiced uh, the first guy to ever voice Leon was Paul Haddad. He, uh, he messaged me on Facebook when my name became public for the f reimagining of that one. And he just sent me the nicest message, uh, passing the torch. He's like, Hey, you know, it's your time to shine, buddy. Um, you know, wish you all the best. If you ever want to chat, whatever, so sweet. give me his number. Wow. I think he was living in Canada or something. So I called the dude. We became friendly online. That was during the pandemic. And, um, mm -hmm. sadly he, about a year later, he passed away from, oh, from uh, like a neural, neural, uh, disease or something. How, how old was he? Uh, if I had to guess 55, maybe. Oh my God, dude. So anyways, I, that was sad as hell. The community cried for that. I mean, he was a legend, that guy. First guy to voice Leon. Uh, and then sometime through the pandemic, I got to actually meet uh, the the voice actor who did my favorite Leon, which was the one from 4. That, I mean, that performance made me want to be an actor in the first place. Oh, shit. I would talk to my little brother about that and say, wouldn't it be cool to be a character like this one day, Dave? And this is before I knew what motion capture was. I wasn't an actor at the time. And so I got to tell that guy that he's a hero of mine, that he's probably one of the reasons I'm here in Los Angeles acting is because of him, because of wow. Leon. That is cool as and, hell. And uh, I trained with him. And so he uh, he's a fantastic guy. And we did 25, 30 sessions together in voiceover. And that's just kind of cool. When I hear you, when I hear this story, it makes me think of uh, when they uh, 
when they found the new singer for Journey. <laughs> right? Interesting. Yeah, like they found that he was like, I'm, I'm going to fuck this all up, but I, I feel like he was like Filipino or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. they found this guy that had the ability to to match the voice of Journey. He's in a cover band, right? Yeah, yeah. That's hilarious. Yeah. No, wait, you said you trained with that voice actor. Was this prior to you being cast? Or uh, it, it was. Yes, it was. So... I, so you stepped on him and took his job. Well, I mean, I had I had an idea. <laughs> I had an idea that I might be asked to do for, uh-huh. but there was no there was no official email oh, this that was came between through. two and four. This was between two and four. Okay, that I I reached out to him and I got to train with him. That's cool. And still fun uh, as hell. I mean, I still told him that he's he's an absolute hero. I mean, what was the training like? What what did you do? Voiceover training? Voiceover training. Um, yeah breath work like we started from the beginning i i told the guy i said look i i didn't think that i was a great voiceover actor i mean there's that's a prophet that's like a specialized profession Mm -hmm. i'm more of a body performer i use my body i I do live action i'm action actor and so it's it's a bit different use different skills and so i said let's start from the beginning like assume i know nothing Mm -hmm. and we started with breath work controlling the breath um a lot of exercise to get into and um that's we start from there it was just great and the did guy you knows do everything it, did you do it remotely or were you in person uh half and half it was um like throughout different stages of the pandemic and i think i started training with him i think before the pandemic happened that's and then wild and then when when the pandemic hit we went virtual that's like calling up bruce willis and being like can we just train <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean he, he, he was a very nice guy and yeah. and um I just, I'm very appreciative that he took me on because he doesn't really teach much. But this That's guy, crazy, this dude. guy is like, he's got an illustrious career. He, he he can do anything with his voice. He plays characters like you wouldn't believe. And I said I to myself, I know I can learn a lot from this guy and he's fantastic. That's amazing, dude. Yeah. That's amazing. That's good on you to have that wherewithal and the balls. To be like, let, let's do this. Oh, what's the worst he's going to say is no. See, that's the, that's, the, that's that is the definition of when I say the bulls is the general understanding of that. Yeah, it's, it's the understanding of like, well, what's going to fucking happen? And, and like, I get this from folks all the time. Like, how did you do that? You go, well, what's going to fucking happen? Like, I'm going to ask them, and they're going to say no. Yeah. Okay. Big fucking deal. Like, how's that worse? Actually, it's better because I talked to them and then they said no. They, I could have imagined that they would say no and then I wouldn't have even been able to talk to them. So it's actually better. Yeah, I mean, there's that simple saying that's damn true where it's, you don't get what you don't ask for. Exactly. This, it's true. And, exactly. and I said to myself, at very least, I think I had maybe like email correspondence with this guy. And the, the very, like the smallest thing I got to do was tell this guy over email, you're a huge hero of mine. So cool. And, and if that's the only thing that came of it, cool. I got to tell the guy. That's so cool. That's man. it. That you made me want to act, you know, mm-hmm. and if I ever hear that, you know, sometimes I do hear that on my streams, social media and stuff. People tell me that, that I've inspired them to do anything. Great. I didn't know that was going to happen. It's a byproduct. It's a bonus. Yeah, man. That's great, dude. So let's say they remake another video game that you love and you get to play any character who would be the, the next guy. <laughs> Simon Belmont or Trevor Belmont from Castlevania. Castlevania. Whoa. That would be you want to do deal. all that. You so want to do all that. that. You knew that. I knew the first name. Simon Belmont. I don't know the, the second guy. Trevor. He was from Castlevania 3. Yeah. I knew that. Well, they have a great series out now. Have you seen it? I've watched all of them. Did you like it? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. So that, uh, some episodes I think are written by Warren Ellis of comic book fame. I, I think, think so. Yeah, I think so. I actually like the Castlevania stuff a lot. I love that stuff. Yeah, it's really cool, man. So you want to do the whip shit? You want to do the whip training? <laughs> you going to learn the whip? I'll practice on you, Brett. It's going to be all right. <laughs> going to be trying to get around like lamps and then swing off of lamps and candles. I just, I, I was just at this mocap mixer just two days ago. And this guy was telling me that one time they mocapped a whip. That's cool. And it's, it's actually more sense. complicated than you think. They, they hired this professional, uh, what do you call them? A uh, whipper. A, a whipper. Professional whipper <laughs> in here Indiana, in LA. Indiana Jones. Yep. So what they did was they, they fabricated this whip out of like small, small chain link. And in between the chain link, they put the little, they, they put, um, they put mocap ball barbells that they attached through the whip at, at like every, every third link. And they actually, Film made sure that it was calibrated to film at 5,000 frames per second. I was going to say, yeah, wow. the motion blur would have been a bitch for that. 5,000 frames a second. And I, and I, I kind of like raised my brows and I said, well, did 600 frames not suffice? And they said, no. Yeah, because, because of the motion blur. It is so fast. Yeah. That like no no film has ever done that with a whip to slow it down in slow-mo. It would have to be that slow to see how fast it whips because a whip breaks the sound barrier. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? That's how you get that noise. Yeah. The yeah. Holy shit. Yeah. Isn't that wild? It makes sense, man, because that motion blur would be a bastard for any sort of tracking that happens on it. Right. And they, they were like, we can try to animate it, but like, we don't even know what a whip does. We yeah. don't know what it looks like <laughs> because nobody's ever seen it. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? That's awesome. Um, what, is, what is the highest frame rate you've ever filmed at? Was it 320 or something for... Uh, we did the Punisher. We were doing slow stuff. We what, did what, Phantom on that. Wasn't that 320? For the 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 bullet the casings, maybe that was three twenty. I th I feel like I just did some fan well, just did before COVID. I did some phantom stuff with uh, food and shit. I think we were at a thousand, maybe, maybe twelve hundred. I don't know. Cruder would know. He's probably listening right now, going, "Isn't it great when your director doesn't know what the fuck I'm doing?" Yeah, <laughs> it's probably it's probably in that range somewhere. I remember you did the dimly lit the the food piece like the knives cutting through melons yeah, and stuff yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's cool it's a it's a whole different game like the the thing that's weird about shooting with a phantom is that when you use a, when you normally use a camera you go okay let's roll roll start stop and then when you start and stop that's what you're capturing right but what a phantom is it's constantly capturing so when it's on it's capturing and so you're you're telling it when to stop to a, to a certain extent yeah so it took me a while to get used to that. Like it's rolling all the time. And then you're telling it what parts to use in the clip. Cause that's the only way to capture some of this stuff. Like it's right, because it's so sensitive. It's so sensitive. It happens so, so like, quick, like a bullet going, oh, I so it's oh like, that it's, is wild. It's rolling all the time. So it's a different way of sort of processing so, how to set that up. Right. So you're 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 better off just learning to cut whenever the thing happens. Crude was real fun about it. He's like, don't even bother trying to figure it out. I'll, I'll, I'll do it. <laughs> that is crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is, that's why I kind of know it. But yeah, it's nuts, man. And, and then the other thing that I just figured, as usual, you've worked on my movies. As usual, I'm like, oh, I'll cram this day with all sorts of really cool stuff. As soon as you start doing slow motion stuff, everything slows the fuck down the like, day goes in slow-mo <laughs> everything slows down because yeah. now you're seeing like the intricacies of a you know a one hundredth of a second and you're like wow that looks really cool 
but his hands on the knife in the wrong place. And now yeah, I have to watch yeah, this yeah. for four minutes. <laughs> and you're like, fuck, can we go again? Talk about needing perfection Dude. for that stuff. Um, it, what, what are the file sizes for, like, let's say a, a 30 second clip with, you know, 18,000 frames? I think they were pretty big. I like, like, it, I think. So what it did is it, and this was a while ago. So what it did is it shot some sort of like raw format or some sort of picture format that you would then preview in sort of like a player. And then you would say, that's the take that I wanted, and it would run it out. So then it would then run it out uh, into a more manageable file and a smaller file. So that's kind of how it worked. Oh, I see. It wasn't just, st- at least what we were using, wasn't just sort of stacking like image after image after image. We were just were very particular, which for me in post-production, I'm like, please, because it, you sort of hit a point where you have all that kind of fucking data and you're like, well, just the hard drive alone. It's like, huge, yeah. You know, I'm not getting paid enough for, for all that shit. Literally not getting paid enough to be able to afford to get the hard drives. <laughs> so, <laughs> you crazy. know. Um, but yeah. Uh, my last question for Nick is, when you go to a mocap mixer, when someone gets too drunk and passes out, do you guys grab a Sharpie and just draw all the mocap <laughs> dots on their faces? <laughs> That's a good question, Brett. I feel like you've just planted the seed. (laughs) Is what that is. Nobody walks in with the balls all over their their suit. Like ah, long day at the the office. I think that's more of a good idea rather than a question. Yeah, yeah. He's he's now been inspired. I'm going to crash one of these and pretend I'm one of them. (laughs) You've inspired me. You're just past that. You've already put all the dots in your own face. It's like, who's the mocap guy that passed out yeah, for too much you're, booze? You're, you're supposed to be on the VIP list, and then I just go and like Sharpie my face. I'm like, sorry, I was just in a session. Uh, I forgot my ID, but uh, I, yeah, I'm that guy on the list. Just let me in. He's, he's <laughs> going just- to come in with a unitard on and yeah. with like ping pong balls. Gray unitard. Double, double-sided tape to him. Or you just go to the show that Nick's at, and you just go, no, 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 I'm the other half of Nick. He's just the skin. We're, I'm the guy that does all the movements. <laughs> we're we're both playing the two men in the horse costume. <laughs> you got to mocap it. It's got to look like two guys in a horse costume. Well, well, look, I've got a couple questions. So, uh, and we didn't really discuss this on the show, and you may or may not know this, but a big portion of your career has it's been owed to Mike. <laughs> has been doing uh, just deaths and falls in. And like uh, the deaths of of like Nazis or something. And what game did you work on? Well, I've worked on a, uh, five five military games at this point. It's crazy. So I've worked on Medal of Honor, Above and Beyond. That was a it's a World War Two game, all in VR, completely in VR. It's oh, pretty cool. Wild. Uh, so I was on that for a long time, just doing uh, stunts, some cinematic work, uh, a lot of deaths, and just scenarios i mean there there are it's a huge game and so they needed so many bodies and we were on that a few weeks off and on i've been in uh battlefield 2042 i worked on three call of duty games in the past few years so we worked on cold war modern warfare one and vanguard and so different different eras yeah so you you go from 
uh, World War One, World War Two, uh, modern day warfare. It's all different. Because and are you doing all the research and the homework on like how they loaded weapons at that time and how they're cocking guns at that time? We, I mean, we, on set we have great directors and uh, tactical advisors just to make sure that everything is good. And once you get on a team, you kind of just know if you can bounce between projects. Uh, obviously, the, the tactics in World War Two were not so sound. And they've changed so much over the years. They have different weapons. They move, yeah. they're not so tactical, you know. Yeah. Um. So you just have to be aware of that stuff. But all of it is physical, even the World War Two stuff. When yeah. you're bashing in someone's face with a helmet, you know that's pretty brutal stuff. Well, let me let me be even more specific for the listeners, right? So anytime you play a video game, yeah, and you run around as the hero in the game, and let's say it's a Nazi game, mm. Nazi comes around the corner, you shoot him in a specific way, and your gun hits him in the shoulder. Yeah, he spins around, falls to the floor. That same situation may happen where you run around the corner and you get a headshot. That yeah. character acts a different way when he gets a headshot. Yes, yes. So you animate each, you perform each and every one of those variables for how someone's going to get killed. I have, yes, uh, yes. On Medal of Honor, I died hundreds of times. Jesus. Every, every which way. You know, you take headshots in eight different directions. <laughs> Side, three-quarter front front back of the head three quarter back of the head to the right and you have to just fall 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 die die make it look painful and then you and then you do that whole thing again from the shoulder the left shoulder then you do the right shoulder then you do standing still then you go if he was running forward and takes a front headshot it's they're just endless possibilities of how, how you, you die and get shot how are you not in fucking traction right now <laughs> with all like the head whips <laughs> and the body flops like it hurts Look, <laughs> if this was a if, if we were on camera i would show you some of the warm-ups that we do but you some stunt people over the years have like showed me some exercises to like almost give yourself like a pseudo whiplash by like just throwing your your chin in different directions to get used to like the you know the whipping of your head in different directions taking a headshot you know you're moving your head in ways that your neck is not used to we don't do this yeah. everyday life where you like jerk your head back and you got to make it look painful and then just fall like a tree in the forest onto a a padded mat it's great but when you do it 600 times in a day, you're going to have a pretty shitty morning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just hurts. And so kudos to the stunt people who do this week in and week out. I don't do that. I, I work a fair amount, but not as much as some people I know. So I don't know how they do it. Some of the dudes, and I'm going to give a shout out. And I'm not going to remember any of the, the name or the information, but I just watched this clip on Instagram. And I think it's this guy. I feel like he's in Sweden or something. And I'm just going to describe it because I can't think of what his name is. He's in like this old Western town and he's known as like the guy that falls better than anybody can fall. <laughs> That's awesome. And he just does like these, he gets shot in the face and he just flops in the dirt and he's just, they, they just show take after take of this guy. Yeah, that hurts. Whipping, spinning, getting shot out of a second story window, falling into it. It's just like... Yeah. The consistency of that. And you're talking to a guy who put on fucking ice skates and stepped on the ice and fell backwards once and ended up in fucking intensive care for five fucking days. We almost lost you. Yeah. So I can't, I can't imagine that that's your gig. Yeah. And that's what you do all day is you throw yourself onto a mat. Didn't you throw out your back getting out of bed this morning, Mike? Yeah. I'm in fucking physical therapy <laughs> right now. No, honestly, that stuff. I mean, when you watch projects like like John Wick, like those guys are the best of the best in the industry. And they they make everything look as painful as possible. Yeah. And 
I'm not at that level. I'm not a stunt guy. I'm, I'm a stunt capable action actor. There's a difference that I don't, I don't pretend to call myself a stunt guy. Those people do crazy things and they provide us wonderful entertainment. And that's why this is another episode. That's why there should be a gosh darn category in the Oscars for them. Yeah, I agree. They with don't, you. they don't recognize the stunt people. I mean, because the stuff that I do is so painful. We got to make it look real because it's, that's what you remember. You know, when you're playing, you feel like a hero because you're doing that damage to people. Someone's got to play that. Dude, one would argue that heroes in movies only look as good as they do because of how great the fucking fall guy is that they're fighting with. Sure. And also look at look at some of the films that have won best film of the year. Saving Private Ryan 1996. Yeah. Nothing without the stunt teams. Yeah. Right? Gladiator 1999. Nothing without the stunt performers. Yeah. And they just shit on them yeah it's so sad yeah like they don't like they're just another small little department yeah come on guys and these are people that'll light themselves on fire and throw themselves down a staircase for you over and over and over again yeah that's crazy it's crazy yeah because you were telling me you were doing that stuff and i found it so fucking fascinating and it, it's these little things that you don't really think about when you're playing a video game you're like, oh, how many times did that poor son of a bitch <laughs> have to fucking fly, like get killed? Well, it's only in the new ones. So if you play like slightly older games, like we're talking like 2015 and prior, sure, they would they would animate a lot of that stuff, and that's where Ragdoll came in. So Ragdoll is like a it's like an algorithm that kind of emulates uh, body physics and gravity. Sure, if if a an AI character dies, like an NPC, you shoot them. Uh, uh, ragdoll takes over and it, they just crumple and fall as a body would fall and it's pretty good but it's always just better if you just record it with a human because they can actually hit something fall the right way and everything is exactly the way yeah. physics works and yeah. that's the problem with like CG is yeah. even in movies they're pretty damn good right now at uh mimicking fit real world physics they're pretty good sure but you can still tell the difference between yeah, CG like any day. Someone's throwing Gumby into each other. Like once they start <laughs> doing the whole third act yeah, of a fucking yeah, Marvel movie yeah. and it's just people sort of flinging themselves through the air and smashing into each other. You're like, none of this makes any sense. It's always me. too fast. It's a little bit. And you're just like, yeah. that wouldn't happen that way still, you know? Yeah. So I, that's, yeah. that's why they excuse me, try to use uh, motion capture as much as possible because it, it's just realer. That's all. Well, it's great because then they put those little balls on your shoulders so that way when you fracture your when you fracture your fucking <laughs> the animator arm, can fix it because yeah. it's like, oh, his elbow's not supposed to be but, there. But, uh. like, but the look on his face when he fractured his arm there, <laughs> yeah. fantastic. That's fucking We're gold. Gonna, that's going to the game. <laughs> that's, that's gold. That's right why there. we paid him a hundred bucks today. <laughs> yeah. That that moment where Tom Cruise missed the ledge and broke his fucking foot or whatever, that's in the movie. That's gold right there. Yeah, exactly. But that that's fun. So I would say half. Half of what I do is body motion capture, meaning I just play random bodies in, in characters and stuff. And then half of it is playing the actual character. Yeah, it's great, man. I was very proud of you when you got the role. Thank you. It was you. fun to see that. you not, not only did you do the video game, but you also did... Did you do the animated show too? Yeah, there was a series on Netflix that came out about two years ago called Infinite Darkness. It was a four-episode you know, miniseries, I guess, they could have chopped it together into one little feature. Uh, it was fun. 
it was you know some people liked it it wasn't it wasn't the most well received yeah project but it was fun we shot that in japan in 2020 yeah and it was the same process for you doing that was it the same sort of mocap process same process uh the, the main difference was we, because it was uh basically like just long form we we had like a movie script for that so it was like doing a cutscene essentially for a video game but like a, an hour and a half long it, it was essentially like a full feature script yeah. and we just you know shot the scenes it was easier to follow to be honest easier to follow the story whereas a mocap um, depending on the week that you're filming in the session you just get excerpts of the story so you don't necessarily know where it is in the story you don't know what your character's been through with this character yet you know yeah. and, and you have to really rely on uh, the the producing team and the the director to just hone in and be like okay for this scene your relationship is kind of here with this character think about it this way and this is where we are in the story kind of towards the end yeah that's so fascinating. they take care of the arc and everything and um and then you bring in the character so infinite darkness was a little bit easier because we had the whole script we could read the whole damn story make our own notes and uh did they shoot that in sequence because they don't have to worry about locations or were no, they all over no 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 we we did not shoot that in sequence um, it was all over the place and and that was an interesting one because we had so, so few actors available for that project and there were many characters. And so even on that one, yes, I played Leon Kennedy, of course, uh, but I, I mo-capped uh, the president of the United States for a few scenes. I just did his body. Joe Biden. <laughs> Who called me a racist, apparently. Um, I mo-capped the president. I mo-capped his assistant, the chief of staff. Like we were just like inter, you know, I played a few American soldiers and they just used our bodies because we were there on set. So I would like in one scene, I'd be playing an American soldier. The next one I played Leon in the very next one or the same scene. I'd have to play also the president. Was that weird for you? Like a fucking improv troupe. <laughs> uh, well, well, fortunately my training, uh, you, you train a little bit in mocap about different body types and different movements. So obviously uh, a 29 year old agent moves differently than a 65 year old president and moves differently than a 250 pound chief of staff who has a bit of a waddle you know yeah. you have to be very weary of different body types how they move your age your status you know someone like a president is going to be like shoulders back you're He's confident you're not confident, confident. Yeah. uh yeah a, a schluppy chief of staff is going to be shoulders in bad posture and you have to be aware of that because i don't i don't look like that are you a fucking creep in public are you just staring at people and how they move around <laughs> Yes. <laughs> I'm I, I'm an observer of life, Mike. He's an artist. And, and I'm a very empathetic soul, and so I can I can tap into a lot of different types of people. Summarized by yes, you're a creep in, in public. You I would love to mocap you one day. Yeah, I'm sure I'd be the easiest guy. You just figure out how to pick up cheeseburgers and beers. <laughs> I need to figure out a rack of ribs, a smoker, and a beer. That's pretty much it. And then and sits cowboy, on his fucking in that cowboy hat right there. Oh yeah. Then just sits on his fucking ass behind a microphone. That's it. be the easiest job for you <laughs> um, oh speaking of which i think i found something what let me see this may be a false false role but we're gonna try it ah uh, don't you hate it when you log out and your text goes all the way back to the most recent fucking oh, text damn yeah yeah Oh, fuck it. The way what, my what brain thinks, when you said that ah, uh, it sounded like the same exact first note from the Godzilla theme. It's true. I was raised on that theme. <laughs> um, what did you find? 
Oh, God, I'm going to dig it up. I'm going to dig it up. Keep talking amongst yourselves as I find this thing. All right. Uh, All right, Brett, what what games are you playing right now? I'm currently playing Rage 2 because I'm trying to just involve myself in anything post-apocalyptic. Okay. Because I'm trying to write a comic book that will be out next year, probably self-published, but uh, because basically... I go to this event. Brett's in the cosplay. Yeah. <laughs> I, I go to this thing called Wasteland Weekend. I think yeah, I've I texted what, you about I this. I know what that is. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. And for the listeners who don't know, uh, Wasteland Weekend is awesome. basically Burning Man for Mad Max dorks. Yep. Uh, every September, October in the Mojave Desert, everybody just gets together and cosplays as war boys or just dirty, dirty wastelanders. And we just get drunk all fucking weekend and light shit on fire. And there's industrial bands at play and there's booze at every fucking camp. <laughs> so you can walk into a bar that was built the week prior and and they're like, well, you have, well, you have, uh, you want some blood or some piss to drink. And it's either fruit punch with vodka or lemonade with and, vodka. And aren't there, they're like tribes, right? Yes. For lost words. Um, no, that's you, what literally what they're called. Oh, the tribes. Do you know it's well, speaking of that movie, Mad Max, uh, Fury Road. Yep. That to me. So I, I don't know if you knew this. I came from a, a set designer kind of sort of background i i was doing that more often than i was acting i even built props and part of will simmons sets um i think more some props and maybe some wardrobe uh for one of his films I keep back in the day getting that that is a connection that oh, you yeah. were that you knew will before you knew me yeah so so he made a movie yeah. back in the day called the source yes and that's i think that's maybe where i'm met evelina maybe i met her on that anyways for for those of you hold on for those of you that are trying to connect the dots that are listening to the show will simmons is my screenwriter right now yeah amazing dude so he's written a feature version of 12 cam everybody's been asking about that he also wrote a feature version of who's there and we're writing two new ones right now so yes yeah and evelina was also in that punisher short film right evelina was in that she was in the source um, I, I believe. Yeah, she was in one of his movies. I think he did two movies. Yeah, I think she. Yeah, she was in the source. Yep. And anyways, so I think he hired me as like a, to play a small part as a mercenary. I thought it was the coolest thing. I designed my costume for it, and I designed some post-apocalyptic props for him. And so when I see. You got something there? Sorry, sorry, sorry. Keep going. <laughs> I can't wait to see what this is. Mike's but. like, no, I'm just going to play around on my phone. You guys just talk. No, <laughs> I'm bored. I, was, I didn't want it to go away. <laughs> He's again. on TikTok right now. <laughs> <laughs> but, I'm trying to keep my phone. Keep, keep, keep going. Keep going. Keep going. But keep when going. I saw, I, I still, I, I love to build with my hands. I love making props and stuff. And when I saw Mad Max, like whoever that designer was, that uh, art designer, the art director, amazing job. Holy shit. I think they want to, they, uh, did they win the Oscar for that as I well? I feel like I feel like they, they were up for it, or they won it for sure. Yeah, for fantastic. Fury Road. Yeah, and and I would love to go to Wasteland one year, and if someone paid me to to take a vehicle and Mad Maxify it, oh, I would I would weld the shit out of that spikes and guns and everything. Dude, I love that. I mean, I think Fury Road is one of the best movies in the past. 20 years it's yeah. so good I it's, think it's, one it's of the so like simple to the point yeah. well done perfect it, and i'm pumped about the new one furiosa that's yeah. coming out which he's shooting right now apparently mm. and i'm kind of that nerd that is like online looking at stuff yeah 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 
I don't know if you saw the posts, but uh, there were photos of uh, the interceptor <clears throat> on the set. Oh, really? Okay. I didn't hear about this. But see, I love that stuff. And the reason I like post-apocalyptic, uh, I like that genre so much is because there aren't many rules. It, like, uh, Kind of like sci-fi is if you can think it, it makes sense. Yeah. Because in, in sci-fi, it could be absolutely anything um, that the future can conjure up. But in post-apocalyptic worlds, it's like whatever you have, you have to be super resourceful. And like, how can I reutilize this tool I for this? Shit. Yeah. And it's, it's very like utilitarian, um, very creative, resourceful, and rusty and gritty. It's like, oh, it's just perfect. And that's what the source was, was like after a World War Three. Oh, I've never seen his movie. That's what that was, huh? <laughs> I've never I got, actually I got to look this up now too. I'm interested. I, don't I know love if it's Will. Public is it public? I I have not seen it in a while, but no, I don't think he's ever shown it to me. We'll ask him after this. Yeah, it but was I, a fun project though, and that's where I met Will. You know, and, and I didn't meet you through Will. No, I met you because I went to a screening of one of my first films back in the day. Yeah, and I randomly went. To, I forget why I was at that screening. I went to a screening at Emerson, I think. Yeah, that was one of the first student films I was ever in. Yeah. That's how you contact me, and we started hanging out at your subcult, and yeah, talked, and then you hired me in The Punisher. Yep. I met you there, and I met Evelina there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we worked together on that. I did a small piece with her. Um, Yeah, that was it. Yeah, that was, that, was, that was how I met you there. I forgot about that. And then I met Will <laughs> years later through Cruda. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. after 12 cam was shot because cruda filmed the source fucking small that's how i small met cruda. <laughs> yeah it's small funny all these, shit, all these people come up on these like short films these little projects and that's why to this day i i don't like poo poo on little tiny tiny projects because you never know who you're working with yeah. and, and i attribute my whole career to these these wonderful fun ass small projects you know i was talking to lance about it the other day and <laughs> he was in a commercial that I did that was this wedding commercial and he was like I was one of the best men in the wedding commercial I go you were <laughs> I, I totally forgot all about it I was like he's like Mike you, I think about that every day he was like I, you were directing me I was like was I uh, that's uh, funny that's how yeah that's how I originally met him was that yeah yeah that's weird, man. It's weird how this fucking business works, man. It's just yeah, yeah, right place, right time, and you know, doing favors for friends and. But also having a good time, like yeah. even if it is a small project, there's not a lot of money involved, but you're having a great time. It's like, what else do you want to be doing? Yeah, you know, sitting around. Yeah, we had fun making that Punisher piece. Yeah, we did. We, it was really fun. Remember, I, I messed up my fucking knuckles, and, and you were like, "What are you doing, man?" It's because I had oh, just yeah. I had just done a project before that where. I, my character is supposed to have like like scratches on his back from a fight with a girl or something, and and the makeup artist took like um, a little like colored pencil and put like four perfect like four dashes. I'm like, is that what a scratch looks like? Like, have you ever been scratched by anything? And she's like, no, it looks great on camera. I'm like, no, it actually doesn't. And so I said, I had someone scratch me. I like, that, that's a scratch. <laughs> yeah, I and so I didn't trust you. It's not that I didn't trust you, but I was like, I can make this look fucking better. You didn't trust me. So what happened was, is Nick was like, there's a shot in the piece that you'll never see where Frank Castle's been beat to shit. Essentially his character in that, storyline he's missing an eye 
or like his eyes out of commission. So one of yeah. his eyes is covered, and his his uh, fingers are in the way of uh, uh, Frank Miller. They're all taped up in white. And yeah, yeah, really cool. And uh, you were like, "What do you think the hand should be?" And I'm like, "Oh, they should be all nasty and gnarly and shit." And then we <laughs> talked. We talked about that. And then I literally walked away to go talk to the makeup artist about that. Then you came back in and you had just like taken your knuckles to the fucking pavement no, outside. No, no, no. You got the story wrong. Okay, Mike. so t- re- re- tell me the story. That's how I remember it. No, I'm a little bit more methodical than that. And you know this about me. <laughs> okay, okay, what happened? <laughs> he got into a street fight. So <laughs> before I even talked to you about that, what I did was, because I, I didn't even want to ask permission, uh, about I think like four days Oh, I don't remember that. Okay, keep going. Four days before we shot the project, mm-hmm. I took my knuckles to concrete. So they would scab over for the film. <laughs> okay. I totally wow. forgot all that. Yeah. yeah. I thought you did that on, on set. No. So so I had like layers of that shit. So I had scabs in areas. And then on the day, I took them to concrete again. Okay. So I had some like fresh ones. I had some scabbed <laughs> over ones to be like, this guy's lived in. <laughs> Holy I, shit. I loved your commitment to it. But the, the reason is because I can't stand when films want to go for a world like that and people's hands are pristine. Yeah, I get you. I cannot <laughs> stand that because that's just a lack of attention to detail. I, yep, I get uh, you, man. And and here's the thing is I wasn't even sure that I, I didn't know your, your shot selection per se. Like I didn't know you were going to have a close up on the hands doing the thing. It's just like if a shot happened to catch the hands. It's just a small little detail. Well, I appreciate it, man, because it looked, no one's ever going to see it, but it looked fucking rad. It looked really cool. And that level of detail. It's texture. Has become what I do anyways. So like if you watch 12 cam, you watch any of the stuff. You're a master at that shit. It's all texture. And that was just something that a liberty I could take with the character and that I just wanted to. Yeah. And anyone would have said, why the fuck would you do that? Well, and realistically, you didn't really have a point of reference because the Punisher short, I had done some stuff prior, but I had done mostly music video stuff prior. So the Punisher short really was the first uh, cinematic piece that I had done of that level of quality. But it was great, though. Was that? Was that? Yeah. That was the first run out. That's why it sucked when it couldn't put it out. And I felt like this the, the guilt and the just the the disappointment that I had to go and talk to you guys and be like, I can't put this out because you had put blood, sweat and tears into the Literally. performances on that. Like, that and, and fucking ripped your hands apart. And then we couldn't fucking release it. I thank God we had the teaser aspects out there. Yeah. There was some imagery out there. Yeah. Um, and then when I talked to the lawyer and the lawyer was like, you can do a whole article <clears throat> and you can talk about all that stuff. So we, we implanted a lot of that imagery in it. Uh, thank God we did that. But like, I felt like I felt like a real fucking asshole because we I had convinced the entire crew and you guys, you know, we worked hard and late on that piece. Um, so now whenever I talk to people on the show that are like, we're thinking about doing a fa- I just talked to a guy the other day and he's like, I'm, I think I'm going to do a Spider-Man fan film. I'm like, don't do it. <laughs> if you, if you're or gonna, do it according to what I just saw last week. <laughs> <laughs> But like, if you're gonna, if you if if you wanted to be seen by a mass public, yeah, yeah, don't do it. And 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 I, I say this all the time now. This is fact. Once I got agent management, at no point did they go, 
Show us the Punisher fan film. At no point did they give a shit. And when I told them that I did a Punisher fan film, they're like, cool. All they care about is intellectual property that you own and that you can sell and that you can make money on. Yeah. And so like, if you're going to take the time and energy to make anything that you think is going to progress your career, do something that you own. Because once you get beyond your friends and family and some fans on the internet, once you try to make this into a career path or you make, let's say you make fucking Christopher Nolan level fucking piece, the better it is, the, 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 the least they're going to want to have it seen, the least it's going to be put out there. So don't waste your time and energy on a intellectual property that you don't own. Well, maybe. And after this, podcast is through i want to talk to you about something oh god <laughs> <laughs> mike we're going to talk about 12 kilometer mcdonald's happy meals toys <laughs> and it, and it, and might, rhyme, money it might rhyme with post crusters i'm just kidding no i'm just kidding i'm just kidding but you might be interested oh my god we'll talk all right is there another beer now you have to edit mike <laughs> <laughs> uh but yeah. I'm just kidding about that. No, no, but dude, dude, you know, anything that you wanted to bring up, I was like, all right, I guess I'll listen. Um, yeah, but dude, I think that the work that we did that no one gets to see is really great. And I was just really happy that uh, you found a career path that worked for you and you were able to do, you know, a character <clears throat> that is beloved across the fucking planet, dude. Well, I do... I do give credit where it's due, and I um, I, I did a, a recent hot wing challenge for charity. I don't know if you saw that. <laughs> I don't think I did. We, we raised about like 2500 bucks for St. Jude's Hospital. Okay. Wow. And we, we did a show that was very heavily based off of hot ones. You've seen the show? Yes, of course. I love that show. Yes, the show is great. And so uh, we act in our household, we actually get the uh, subscription of the hot sauces and <laughs> we love them. So we did this hot wing challenge for charity had um, at some point, you know, maybe like 500 people watching it. And um, we raised a lot of money. And one of the questions like we were trying to get through is uh, I had a good friend, Travis moderating. And he asked me about my career, like how did I get here? And I was, I, I gave a shout out to you. I gave a shout out to Alex Emling, who directed Mariah, the first film you saw me in. Yeah. I gave a big shout out to Travis sitting there and, and James, who um, I was doing a lot of action films with them back in the day, back in Boston. And like, you know, like these are the projects, whether or not anyone sees The Punisher, those helped shape me yeah. in a way that when I went to Big Bad L.A., you know, I'll say that with quotation marks, <laughs> air quotes. Um, I believed it. I, I believed it. When, so when I went to these auditions, I knew I can play this role. Yeah, because you had the confidence. You spent the, the time. time. I've yeah. done it before. I yeah. can do this. And there's a, some people can bullshit their way into a room, whatever. But, you know, there's going to be a, a time where you have to, like, you know, put up or shut up. And, mm -hmm. and so I really think that, like, people like you guys helped me get here. Mm -hmm. you know? I like this isn't me patting myself on the back by any means, but I, I'm, I'm proud of the fact that my team that I work with consistently and the work that we do, uh, actors are proud of. And I'm proud of the sure, fact yeah. that the when you're in front of our cameras, um, it looks like it's a Hollywood fucking production. And it looks like I painstakingly spend time in the edit room looking for the coolest out of everybody in every moment that's on that screen because I know the time and energy that you're giving me and I respect um, the, the the skill 
the balls, the the trust that a human being has uh, to get in front of the camera and to act in ways that they would never act in real life and to go places emotionally in front of grown men as a man and, and, and do this without uh, concern or embarrassment. I have nothing but respect for that. And so whenever you end up in front of my camera or whenever you end up in one of my films, I'm thinking that the entire fucking time. And when, especially when we're in the edit room and I'm hunting for the best of the best of the best, I know, and I just did this with Lance with the new piece. Um, I know that he's given me everything because he understands that I'm going to do that for him. Sure. Yeah. And so I, if anything, I'm always happy giving real footage because I know like, that's Dude, a, that's, this is the, this is the most I can give back to you. It's, it's a commodity. It yeah. really is. And a lot of people don't understand that for an actor. If you're paying them like a hundred bucks a day or something, like what's more valuable than that hundred bucks is a good scene. Yeah. And sometimes they fight against it, say, no, you can't have that. It's like, okay. Uh, but I like that about you. And, and I've worked with a lot of people at this point and there's only uh, a handful of, of directors and you're one of them who I would do anything for. Thanks, man. Yeah. Uh, if they're like, look, I don't have a lot of money. You want to help out? Like only a handful. And, uh, and that's because again, I really think I, I got to where I was pretty quickly here in LA with some of the small, but very cool opportunities that I got because of the confidence I built in a place like Boston. Yeah. And that's, it goes back to the advice I give young new actors uh, like you know how do i get into acting i say start local yeah i don't care yeah. where you are you're in east bumfuck ohio or whatever like you know start local yeah and and yeah. if you if you can make a small name for yourself book a couple roles there then go bigger but if you cannot book a role in your small town that might be a sign that it might not be for you. Yeah. You might not be doing it right. Or, or just, you need more training. That's yeah. all. But if you yeah. like, you know, going to LA is a very expensive endeavor. Yeah. <laughs> That's why people leave so quickly. It's one of the most expensive areas in the country, like top two, top three. Yeah. Just in food alone. Yeah. The food prices out here are fucking astronomical. Anyway. Yeah. We hijacked your show, Brett. Thank you for listening to my show <laughs> in love with the process with America's favorite host, Brett McCabe. Uh, don't forget to like subscribe and share and rate us on iTunes and uh, subscribe to the Patreon and uh, hire everyone that you heard tonight. And burn your Macs and uh, and your, your and Microsoft products. Purchase a Puget system for your home entertainment or productive purposes.